This morning, I would invite you to turn to Luke chapter number one. Luke chapter number one. There are no notes for you provided there in the bulletin. However, I will project here on the screen the structure of our study this morning from Luke chapter one, as was read a moment ago. When someone asks, are you ready for Christmas? That is really code language for, do you have all your Christmas shopping done? And for many, Christmas shopping is a year-long event. For others, Christmas shopping is a mad dash in these final days before Christmas. But according to data from the NRF, the National Retail Federation, here is what the NRF tells us. It tells us that 96% of Americans buy gifts for family. Bah humbug if you are part of the 4% that does not, all right? The NRF tells us that American consumers will spend $997.73 on gifts and holiday items this Christmas. That means that I am far below average, you understand. We are told that Canadians spend roughly twice as much as Americans. How can that be? America, we need to up our game, all right? can't allow the Canadians to beat us in that. Evidently, on average, men will spend 10% more than women. That is not true in my family. (laughs) And we are told that gift cards are the most popular present to receive. But of course, these things beg the question for us this morning, When or how, how and when did all of this gift giving begin anyway? And so I think most would point to the the giving of the, the magi, the magi who gave gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh to Jesus sometime after he was born. But this morning I would suggest to you that the first Christmas gift exchange occurred, took place between God and Mary in Luke chapter number one. And so from Luke 1, verses 26 to 38, as was read a moment ago, I prepared a message titled, The First Gift Exchange. Let me pause for prayer, and then we'll we'll study God's word. God in heaven, we thank you so much for this season, the reason behind the season, for all it means to us as believers in Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Lord, we thank you for the meaning and the music of the season that just lifts our hearts and our souls in adoration and in worship. Uh, We thank you, Lord, for the scripture that, that teaches us explicitly truths about your son. And God, now as we open your word and we read and we study, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us insight and understanding, Lord, that we might respond rightly to it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Luke chapter 1 is open before you. I trust in in your copy of the Holy Scripture. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. 
But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Let's break it down a bit for us here this morning. During the sixth month, verse 26, that is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy up in verse number 24. It's also referenced in verse number 20, or I'm sorry, 36. God sent the angel Gabriel in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy to an obscure region in the country to Galilee. Now, Judea was the home of Jerusalem. Judea was the the heart of Israel where Galilee was up in the hills. Galilee was rural and backwards. Gabriel was sent to the town of Nazareth in Galilee. And Nazareth had a despised reputation in Israel so that Nathanael, upon first hearing of Jesus of Nazareth, asked the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth in Galilee? But the angel Gabriel was sent to Galilee, there to Nazareth, to a virgin whose name was Mary, verse number 27, a young Jewish woman who had not yet known a man, verse 34. And at this point, she was only betrothed to Joseph, of the house of David there in verse 25, but, or 27. But never mind all of these details. The action begins in verse 28 with the angel's entrance to Mary. Again, verse 28, and having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now, right here is the interpretive key to my message this morning. What does it mean that Mary was favored You see it there in verse 28. The word translated favored is only used one other time in all of the New Testament. And that's in Ephesians 1, verse number 6, where the Bible says that God chose us in him to the praise of his glorious grace by which he made us accepted or favored in the beloved. The word there is is karatao, which means to grace, Mary was highly graced or favored by God. What does it mean to to grace someone? If I grace you with my presence, that means that I am blessing you with allowing you to be in my company. And although you may not deserve to be in my company, for that is a a privileged allowance, I will grace you with my, my presence and I grant you that privilege anyway. I benefit you for, for being with me although you don't deserve it. Many people believe that it was because Mary was so chaste. It was because Mary was pure as the wind-driven snow. It was because Mary was of some special virtue that God chose her to be the, the mother of the Christ child, but that is not the case. Mary was just a girl from Nazareth in Galilee, Mary was no better than you or me. Mary was no more deserving of God's favor than anyone else. Yet God chose to favor her, to grace her. God chose to grace her with a special gift. And I am mindful of what Moses said to Israel back in Deuteronomy 7, this very same theme, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth, but the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you are the least of all the peoples. You're like a girl from Nazareth in Galilee. 
but because the Lord loves you. And folks, this is the very definition of grace. In fact, we call it sovereign grace. God independently determining to give something that isn't deserved. And in Mary's case, God gave Mary a gift, a grace gift. God chose to favor Mary. Number one, God's gift to Mary. Look at Mary's reaction there in verse 29. But when she saw him, that is Gabriel the angel, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Now, was Mary troubled by what she saw or by what she heard? Look at the text there in verse 29. We often think that Mary was troubled by the appearance of an angel, and that makes sense to us. If we can imagine a large, bright, glowing, heavenly being appearing to us out of the blue, that would certainly frighten us to to even the bravest of us. And and that was common among men through the course of history. In, in, In Scripture, there was fear. That was the human reaction when angels appeared. Of course, we could cite the 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 shepherds. But here Mary's sensibilities weren't rattled as much by what she saw, rather by what she heard. And so the angel didn't say to her, don't be frightened, I won't hurt you. But rather, Gabriel assured her by repeating the message. Look at verse 30. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, the word favor in verse 30 shares the very same root as the word favored back in verse 28. Find it in verse 28. Find it in verse 30. The word in verse 30 is charis or grace. The word back in verse 28 is karatao or to grace. And so the angel is making it clear that God had chosen to grace Mary, that is to give her something she didn't deserve. That message is what troubled Mary. We can assume, humanly speaking, that she was frightened by what she saw, an angel appearing to her, but the text says that she was troubled by what the angel said to her. And so if we could get into the mind of of Mary here in this moment, she's she's thinking, "Do, do you mean that God wants to grace me? Do you mean that God wants to give me a gift I don't deserve? Do you mean that God has chosen to bestow something upon me? Why me? That was her trouble. At this point, Mary has no idea what shape that gift will take, what that gift will look like. Mary doesn't yet know that she will be privileged to to bear the Messiah, not at this point. All she knows is that God's grace is upon her. Folks, when we can pause and reflect and recognize that God's grace is upon us, it will be a more profound experience than if an angel appeared to us. God loves you. He has chosen to gift you, to favor you, his grace. And you don't deserve it. And I don't deserve it. We are only sinners living in an obscure town in Minnesota. Now, it was back in 2008, Money Magazine rated Plymouth, Minnesota, the number one best place to live in the country. Did you know that? But what is that? We're not even on the list anymore, right? 
So never mind Money Magazine. We are fallen, depraved sinners living in Plymouth, Minnesota. Yet God has chosen to grace us. And that thought ought to rattle us to the core of our being. But let's unwrap that gift a bit. Let's unwrap God's grace to Mary and then to us in verses 31 to 35. And let's examine each part as we open this gift. This next week, we will all exchange Christmas gifts with our loved ones and we will unwrap each gift with excitement. And after tearing away the, the, the beautiful colored paper, we will see a picture on the package or on the label. So we look at that gift and we discover that it's a brand new winter jacket. In fact, it is a North Face Apex Bionic 2 jacket, size medium in black. It's water repellent. It's windproof. It's perfect for every day of use in Minnesota in the wintertime. You can buy it at Dick's, but it's cheaper on Amazon. I hope that my wife is listening right now. And as, hypothetically, I were to unwrap that gift and see the label and the expression on my face, or of course we take joy in seeing our children unwrap their gifts and, and discover that gift, the wonder, the awe, the excitement. What did God's gift to Mary look like? Look at verse 31. Behold, you will conceive in your womb, bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the highest will overshadow you, therefore also that holy one who is born to you will be called the son of God. God's gift to Mary. First, Mary will become pregnant. Initially, Mary could not comprehend the the notion of a, a miraculous conception. In fact, in verse 34, she gave a reasonable objection to the idea of having a child. She was a virgin. She had not yet known a man. Contraception and, and pregnancy, or I'm sorry, conception, conception and pregnancy were, were impossible at this point. But then following the consummation of her marriage with Joseph, it was possible, perhaps, she might become pregnant, but that was many months away to be sure. And and so in verse 35, Gabriel explained that her conception would be of the Holy Spirit. And because that sounds just as impossible, that sounds unreasonable, Gabriel told Mary of, of this in verses 36 and 37. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, What does she have to do with this? Well, let me tell you, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing is impossible. Okay. This is definitely information overload for Mary. Are you saying that Elizabeth, my elderly barren relative is pregnant 
And are you saying to me, Gabriel the angel, are you saying to me that Sarah, or I'm sorry, that Elizabeth will bear a child like Sarah did in her old age, bearing Isaac after the angel appeared to her and said the very same thing? Verse number 37, being said to Mary is the very same thing the angel said to Sarah. Nothing is impossible with God. Are you telling me that I will experience a supernatural conception, in my case, not because I'm old, but because I'm a virgin? Mary would become pregnant. Let's keep unwrapping this gift. Verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Mary will give birth to a son. Mary would have a normal, full-term pregnancy, as it were, deliver a baby boy Contrary to the song Away in the Manger which says no crying he makes, Jesus was fully a human baby boy and human baby boys cry. I'm sure Jesus would have have cried. We unwrap the gift a bit further. His name will be Jesus. Jesus is from the, the Hebrew Joshua. It means Jehovah is salvation. It was actually a common name common in that time. Nearly every Jewish parent had hoped that their son would be the Messiah, the one to deliver Israel from their oppression. But Mary was to name her son Jesus explicitly, Matthew 1 teaches us, because he would save his people from their sin. How about this? He will be great. Verse 32. I suppose that every parent thinks that their children are great, right? I think that my children are something special. You can't convince me otherwise, but, but this son, this child would be great. And here the, the understood reference is to the Old Testament description of the Messiah. Psalm 47, verse two says, for the Lord most high is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. He will be great. He will be the son of the most high. The son of the most high, God. And this is really the the mystery of the incarnation. In verse 32, Jesus was the son of the highest, the most high. In verse 35, he was the son of God. But initially, if you look at verse 31, he was to be the son of Mary. So which is it? Physically, of course, he would be born to Mary. But the the designation son of the most high or the son of God are statements of his supremacy and deity. We're unwrapping God's gift to Mary. His kingdom will never end. This is a reference to the Davidic covenant in, in 2 Samuel 7 and through the prophet Nathan God promised David when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom he shall build a house for my name I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever this is a messianic promise and initially that, that promise was fulfilled in, in David's son Solomon, but the, the notion of an everlasting kingdom, that goes beyond Solomon. It could only be fulfilled by the coming king in the line of David, the, the Messiah. How about this? He will be the Holy One. The Bible teaches that man is the carrier of sin. We inherit sin from our father, who inherited sin from his father and his father all the way back to Adam. We call it the seminal headship of of Adam. 
A virgin conception, however, would, would cancel the communication or the transmission of that sin so that Jesus could be born without sin, completely holy. Now, some would disagree and argue that having only one parent biologically doesn't preserve one from hereditary sin and that the sin nature is still passed on through the, the mother. In fact, John Kelvin was, was in fact one of those. He maintained that Jesus' conception was holy and untainted, not because man had no part in the conception, but because the Holy Spirit had all the part in the conception. And so however we might understand it, Jesus was born without sin, lived without sin. He was the Holy One. At a minimum, we could, we could put it this way. Having been born of the Virgin Mary, Jesus was human offspring. But having been conceived of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was holy offspring, the Holy One. By the end of verse 37 now, and I'm turning the page here and In my Bible, Mary is overwhelmed with what she has just heard, with what she has just been given. In fact, I believe that there is a long pause between verse 37 and verse 38. I think there's a long pause there for Mary to simply collect her thoughts, perhaps pinch herself. The wheels are turning 100 miles an hour inside of her head and her heart is beating louder than a drum inside of her chest and she didn't know whether she should shout for joy or she should cry for mercy. Later in this chapter, of course, she sings a song of celebration. In fact, look at verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty, remember nothing is impossible with God, has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. I could continue reading. Have you ever been there? Have you ever received a gift so over the top, so over the top that that you're stunned. I've received a few gifts like that over the years in my life, whether it was either something so special or something so expensive that I I just feel overwhelmed. How do you respond to a gift like that? How does Mary respond to God's gift, his grace, his favoring her with this unspeakable gift of the Messiah? Look at verse 38. Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I would suggest, number two, Mary's gift to God. God's gift to Mary Now Mary's gift to God and let's unpack or let's unwrap this gift. Let's pull away the the, the paper and string. What did it look like? What could Mary offer in return to the Lord? And I think there in verse 38, she identifies herself as the maid servant of the Lord. Servanthood, servanthood. A good servant has a rightful sense of 
of ownership. And Mary here is saying that everything she is and everything she has belongs to the rightful owner, God. What do we give in return for all that God has given us? Lord, I'm your maidservant. Lord, I'm your bondservant. Lord, I will serve you because of what you've given me. But then along with that is Mary's submission, her submission. Submission is a radical commitment to another's will. Whatever God has for me is what I want. Whatever God wills me to do is what I will to do. Folks, servanthood and submission is not a problem if we have confidence in the one who is leading us and loving us. His ways are always perfect. His will is always good. We know that he loves us. We know that we don't deserve any favor, any grace, any gift from his hand. But because of the surety that we have in our heart about the person and the character of God, we follow, we trust, we serve, and we submit. That's all that Mary had to offer. And so she gave everything that she had. Folks, are you ready for Christmas? That's code language for is all your shopping done? We give gifts to each other out of tradition and we give gifts to each other to bless one another and, and enjoy that experience this week as both the giver and the receiver. But know that the tradition began not with the Magi giving gifts to Jesus. The tradition of, of giving gifts did not even begin with Mary giving herself to God, but with God giving us the greatest of gifts, his, his son. And that gift was costly. It cost Jesus his life. And it was a gift that we don't deserve. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We need to receive and believe that gift and then in turn give ourselves back to him. The familiar Christmas carol in the bleak midwinter reads like this, what can I give him? needy as I am. If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a nobleman, I would do my part. What can I give him? Give him all my heart. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for your unspeakable gift of your only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the supernatural, miraculous way in which that gift came from heaven to earth. And Lord, we're thankful that through the sinless life and the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, his burial, resurrection, that we can have everlasting life. The gift of life is what you gave us. Lord, we have no other reasonable act of worship no other rational response than to, to give ourselves back to you in ser- servitude and submission in thanksgiving and praise and worship for what you've given to us. Lord, I pray that you would overwhelm us with these truths just as Mary was overwhelmed that day when she heard of your grace, your favor upon her. I pray, Lord, for, 
for those this Christmas season who participate in all of the, the activities of this holiday event, but yet don't know Jesus Christ personally. Draw them to yourself by your grace. Give them the faith to believe, for I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.